Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast by Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 53, the Artist Gilmore episode, as the 1972 ABA MVP and 1975 ABA champion is the only Hall of Famer to wear number 53. And tonight, we're thrilled to be joined by ESPN studio anchor Kevin Connors, who primarily covers the Major League Baseball, college football, and most importantly, our content as he covers college basketball. Kevin, thanks for taking the time out to join us here tonight. It's been an already an entertaining NBA offseason, and of course, for helping us out with uh, getting prepared for Thursday's NBA draft. How are you doing tonight, and uh, are you excited for Thursday? I was told this is going to be the James Edwards episode. Not, oh. <laughs> so, so I'm out of here, guys. No, no, Artis Gilmore, of course. I I got a, I got an uh, autographed basketball from Artis Gilmore from my friends down at Jacksonville University. So uh, it's fitting that I'm on, and you know, Ross, it's great to meet you, and Mike and Bruce, it's great to talk with you guys again. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to having a nice discussion here in the next 48 minutes. But before we go ahead and do that, uh, we do need to remind our listeners that Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and the latest matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And tonight, we're going to start our first quarter off with the big trade that happened on Sunday with Bradley Beal headed to the Phoenix Suns. Um, I've got a lot of opinions on this being the Phoenix native here, but Kevin, since you are our guest here tonight, what's your uh, initial reaction from this trade? You know, it's it's a it's a blockbuster. It's another mega team here with three All NBA performers. Beal is phenomenal. I mean, the thought of having Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Bradley Beal on the floor at the same time. Does anyone go inside the three-point arc, or do they just all stay outside there? I mean, it's really remarkable. Um, I, I guess to be the contrarian, look, of course Phoenix is going to be great. I'll play the contrarian role. Um, you got to have 12 guys on a team, right? I mean, we got four, yeah. and the salary is already through the roof. Now, I know it doesn't matter. They got a brand new owner who's filthy rich, and it's the luxury tax, and they'll pay it and all that. You do have to fill out the rest of the roster. And I guess the only other thought that I had, guys, is, you know, in 11 seasons, Beal has played more than 65 games four times. And Durant's had his share of injuries. Clearly, it's a push to the postseason. And if you can have those three guys on the floor in the playoffs, then you're in great shape. They'll be really, really tough to beat. But I'm not sure that the most talented team in the NBA won the championship this year. The best team in the NBA won the championship this year. Great points there, Kevin. And uh, I I certainly agree with you. I mean, as far as just this working out long term, of course, people will point to the fact, well, they only gave up Chris Paul, who they're going to waive, and another contract that's large and Landry Shamit. Well, 
why is that? The fact is, I mean, Brad Beal's contract's not pretty itself. So they're definitely going to be on the hook for that. He's a guy that played 50 games last season. Bruce, I'll ask you this. As far as Brad Beal being on the court with both Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, um, do you have any concerns just about how that's going to play? I mean, Devin Booker's going to have to be the point guard unless they go out and get one. And uh, I kind of look at Brad Beal being a ball stopper, but what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I don't think what Kevin said is a contrarian take at all. I completely agree with it. I think, you know, you're you're so top-heavy with, with those four salaries because you have four max deals now, you know, with, with Aiton in there. So, yeah, who, who are you going to, you know, who, who are you going to put out there to, to support them? I know, you know, Ross, you had talked about how they you thought, you know, with Draymond Green opting out of his deal with Golden State that he might be someone who might want to look into Phoenix. Can they possibly afford to add another person of that uh, salary? Because he's going to be looking for a lot of money too. I don't know. I mean, look, when you had Chris Paul, you had at least somebody who was capable of kind of orchestrating that and making sure people were being taken care of. But I don't know who's going to do it. I mean, Devin Booker is not going to be happy as a point guard. Devin Booker <laughs> is a bucket. He wants to score. He's really good at that. That's what he <laughs> should be doing. And I know Chris Paul said that he found out about this trade from his son, okay, uh, which is totally bogus, really, for a guy like Chris Paul of his stature. Whether you like the guy or not, you don't do a guy like that. Um, and he feels that Isaiah Thomas has had sort of a hidden hand in some of this being a, an ally of Matt Ishbia, the new owner. So I'm not, I don't like what they've done at all. I think, I think they've created a real mess for themselves. I, I, I just not on board with this at all. Yeah. And I would tend to agree. And to answer your question real quick, Bruce, I think Deandre Ayton will be moved um, at some point during the summer. And uh, that could go ahead and free up the space they would need to get Draymond green. Um, I certainly am still holding out um, with with what I know that Draymond Green will probably end up being with the Phoenix Suns. I know the Golden State has interest in bringing him back, um, but I'm going to continue to have the hot take that he's going to be a Phoenix Suns next year. Now, we'll be your numbers guy here on the show. One of my concerns with Brad Beal, too, is I look at him more so as like a master of the mid-range. So when you take away the fact that he could, you know, might not be spacing the floor as much as you would hope for, off Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Is that a concern? I mean, I'm sure you're well familiar with Brad Beal being out on the, the East Coast. I mean, I, I, I don't see him being that lethal three-point shooter that's stretching the floor. He's more of an isolation 15 to 18-foot range guy. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, I, I think they are going to uh, totally be, if they weren't already with Kevin Durant, be an ISO team even more so now than, than before. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. He his perimeter shooting hasn't always been there. There are seasons when he has been done a good job there, but he's also, like you guys mentioned, has not been on the floor a whole lot uh, over the last few years, and that's a concern. I don't think it's in terms of the number of players filling out a roster. Yes, you want to have quality players uh, to fill out the starting five. You need players off the bench, but the Nuggets showed and the Heat showed too. Once the playoffs start. Seven, eight players is a rotation many nights. So if, if you can keep this group healthy, you guys, you know, you're going to be strong come uh, playoff time. Now, you need somebody off the bench, a, a nice role player. We've seen that with Bruce Brown on the Nuggets, just for example, to uh, 
contribute in the playoff run. So you got you, you can't just throw seven guys out. You got to have some quality there. But I don't think that's impossible to find. Uh, yeah, Bradley Beal. It's I'm I'm with you guys as far as uh, Devin Booker's role with this team. I think he's a little bit cursed by being so effective as a playmaker in reserve when Chris Paul was out. He did an excellent job in that role when CP3 was out this season to the point where maybe they think, well, he can handle that role. It's not going to be exclusive. It's not going to be a traditional point guard role, but he knows he can do it. He can bring the ball up. I I also agree with you guys that that's taken away a lot of his strength. Um, and from, you know, this jump ahead from the Wizards real quick, the, it looks like a bad deal from the Wizards for what they, you know, gave up to what they get, you know, return on the dollar. But they need to cut salary. They're clearly in a team that is trying to reconstruct their roster. Don't, don't be surprised if uh, Porzingis is next or Kyle Kuzma, whatever. Because if you're going to go this route, excuse me, if you're going to go this route, you might as well go the whole way. And so I think, you know, CP3 looks like he'll be gone, uh, bought out or whatever. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it doesn't seem like the right fit. And who's got the perimeter defense? Where where are you guarding? <laughs> Who are the great perimeter defenders in this whole thing? Chris Paul, for all his whatever you want to say about him, was a really good defender. Where where are the defenders here? It, it might have to be Jordan Goodwin, one of the young guards coming over from Washington in the trade. Uh, he showed some promise last year. I really liked what I saw from him in his. Uh, Time off the bench with the Washington Wizards. But yeah, everything is signaling as a hard reset for this Wizards group with Michael Winger on board as general manager. Now let's shift gears here and talk about a guy that's going to get a chance to have a reset himself in John Morant as the NBA did come down and uh, suspended the guy for 25 games, a little lighter than I anticipated. Kevin, of course, your network at ESPN has covered a ton of this. What were your initial thoughts on... uh, the John Morant handling of the suspension, not waiting until after the finals. And then uh, were you surprised it was just 25 games or is that about what you anticipated? I think it was a great move by the NBA to wait. You know, don't make, don't, don't, don't take your eye off of anything other than the NBA finals. I think it would, would have cheapened the finals and it would have been unfair to the two teams. Listen, what's fair and unfair, um, you know, I'll leave that for the the officials to get into. Here's I'm not a big hot take guy. I'm a big responsibility guy. Um, when when a multi billion dollar organization makes a quarter of a billion dollar investment in you, there is some responsibility that needs to be taken. I love John Morant, the player. I love his story. This stuff. Notwithstanding, I like what I have seen and heard from him away from all of this controversy. I just hope he he grows up because he's a rare talent, but he's running out of chances. And Bruce, got anything to add there? Real quick. This is I, I can go really fast on this. 25 games. I was expecting it to be more. I thought 30 games made sense to me. Here's what Adam Silver and the John Morant meeting should have consisted of. Adam should have told him, if this happens again, it's going to be an entire season. At some point, you can't use the, 
I'm 23 years old and I need to make better decisions excuse. Not going to fly anymore. That's it. Next. Will be. Uh, I think it was a, obviously, uh, it wasn't a random number. Uh, whether you think it's light or heavy, I don't know anybody you know outside the players' association that thinks it's too uh, too heavy. Um, it's it was a calculated move there because it takes John Morant out of any postseason awards, ineligible under the new collective bargaining agreement. So he gets to miss a considerable amount of time, but not so much time that maybe it doesn't impact the, the Grizzlies. But it takes him out of uh, being. Uh, recognized at the end of the season, which might have been a bad look and as well if he exploded and became an MVP candidate. Well, now that's out. Uh, this is a – I agree with Kevin. This is a problem for uh, John Moran. His reputation, this may – you know, you hope he doesn't, but this could be his reputation from this, this point on in his career, which is really sad for a guy this young and this talented, but that's the price you pay when you pull stunts like this. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully the Memphis Grizzlies have a backup plan. I believe Tyus Jones is a free agent uh, this summer. So they are going to have to look around the league and find another floor general for that at least first 25 games of the regular season. Now, some more off the court and on the court news is surrounding Zion Williamson. Uh, Let's simply just start with this, Kevin. Are you buying or selling Zion Williamson being traded this offseason? I just can't see. I just can't see them moving on from a guy like that. They're 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 this deeply invested. It's just a shame to me as someone who follows the college game so closely because guys, I can tell you a few years ago when he was at Duke and he was healthy and playing, it was an event. I mean, we here at ESPN. I mean, it was the lead story on a nightly basis. So I don't need to run through all this. We've seen him in the NBA um, and, and playing. I, I just, man, it just strikes me. And you guys can speak to this better. If you're the general manager that trades a guy who finally gets healthy and becomes everything we thought he would be, that's with you forever. So um, does new Orleans move on from a guy like that? I'd be awfully surprised. Um, but in today's NBA, I suppose you never know. How's that for a bad answer? <laughs> <laughs> or a good one. Bruce, what's your, what's your take? Would you trade Zion Williamson if you are the uh, front office for New Orleans? His talent is so enormous that you know any number of teams would take a shot at him. Maybe they could be the ones to finally get him kind of squared away as far as getting him in condition getting him to sort of straighten out his personal life, which seems to be a hot mess right now as well. Um, But giving him the bag like they did last year was always going to be risky business. I mean, you know, they gave this guy like 190 plus million dollars and he's never really, I mean, when you can't even get yourself into shape, that tells me something because I mean, if, if he could drop 25 pounds He'd probably still have the same game, only. but he's such an explosive jumper that all that torque coming down on his knees, on his ankles, on his Achilles, on his hamstring, 
See, that's where Nikola Jokic is a genius. He jumps like two inches. He's a big, heavy guy, too. But he will never have those kind of injuries because he doesn't try to, like, jump out of the building. Zion likes to make those flashy big plays, jump and land hard. And I don't understand why no one's been able to explain to him 25 pounds less, and you're probably playing 70 games a year. I just don't get it. I mean, they're not going to probably trade him because of what Kevin said. Do you want to be the GM that trades the guy away and all of a sudden he goes to the Hall of Fame? You'll never live it down. And these guys are all conservative and they're afraid of their own shadow. So that's my take. And World B, you are our Charlotte Hornets fan here. Of course, the biggest trade rumor out there for Zion Williamson is surrounding that coveted second pick in this year's draft. Being a Hornets fan, would you make that deal or are you – just as happy standing pat at uh, number two and not taking on that risk. On the surface, I would say, yes, you make the deal. Okay. Because you want – he is he is the guy who was supposed to take the baton from LeBron. The transition from the face of the league. It was supposed to be LeBron handing it off to Zion, and that was the transition. It just hasn't worked out yet. Uh, but the Hornets – Dealing with Gordon Hayward, who they gave a lot of money to with a big contract, who sees the court about half the time. Miles Bridges, who they had envisioned being the guy that at that position, basically one of the top forwards there, off did not play last year because of his off-the-court issues. LaMelo Ball, for all his excellence, can't stay on the court for an extended period of time. They have it's a big chance for the Hornets to take given what they've had to deal with injuries and to pay a guy $30 million and he's not healthy and he's injury prone. It's a gamble. Would I do it? I would, because when he's healthy, when his mind is right, he is a menace. There is nobody better in the league in the restricted area than Zion Williamson real quick on this. He played 38 fewer games last year than Deandre Ayton. And he took more shots in the restricted area than Deandre Ayton. How is that even possible when we're talking about a power forward and a center? It should not happen. I know DeAndre Ayton isn't the first option, but he's a big price tag there. And Zion Williamson is a 70% shooter in the in the uh, restricted area. He is a menace. He is almost impossible to stop in there. If Kevin and Bruce are right, if he gets his head on right, if he gets his butt in shape, no pun intended, but that's how it is, he is uh, – he is, a superstar. He's not just a good player. He is a superstar. Uh, it's a gamble, but I think for the Hornets, it's a gamble worth taking. Gotcha. Well, I for sure would trade him if I'm New Orleans. I certainly have not been a big big believer in that body really withstanding time. Obviously, the weight issues uh, seem to be getting worse rather than better. Um, he's given me no indication that that's changing. So I don't see his value getting any higher than it is right now. If anything, more off the court things are going to begin surfacing or at least people are going to be stirring the pot online, uh, making other other things that are non-basketball related with Zion. We can't even get them on the court. So I would go ahead and trade them. I think New Orleans is set up in a prime position with the pieces they already have on that roster to compete now. And then you throw in that second pick. Um, things would continue to be uh, on the up and up for the New Orleans Pelicans. But uh, let's move back to some Better news here as we wind down the first quarter and discuss uh, three-time six-man-of-the-year award winner Lou Williams announcing his retirement. I've got to be honest, I had thought he retired already, um, but I'm glad he at least made it official for all of us. And uh, 
You know, his six, his three six-man awards ties him with Jamal Crawford for the most in NBA history. And since we are going to discuss the draft here next, let me also point out Lou Williams was selected with the 45th overall pick in the 2005 NBA draft. And uh, of the 60 players taken in that draft, only Chris Paul scored more points. So it goes to show you some of the value you can find later on in NBA drafts. And uh, Kevin, when it comes to Lou Williams, uh, what do you remember most about his NBA career? I think, Ross, just a guy who was very comfortable with his role. How many people in life are comfortable with their role? How many yeah. guys in the NBA who win sixth man of the year feel like they should be playing a different role? And the fact that he won that three times and played 17 years. Sensational scorer, obviously a terrific player. Um, not everyone goes to the Hall of Fame. Not everyone is a 28-point-a-night guy. Not everyone is the man on, on teams. And he's a guy who filled a role and um, was way more than a niche player but was never a megastar. And guess what? I mean, that's a heck of a way to make a living. And, again, 17 years in the NBA uh, is an incredible run. And it's an incredible bank account, too, for Lou. So kudos <laughs> to you and cheers on an awesome career. Absolutely. World B, what are your thoughts on Lou Will? Uh, I agree. You talk about a guy who came right out of high school, second-round pick, as you mentioned, carved out a pretty nice career to last 17 years, only started 122 games in 17 seasons. And like Kevin said, doesn't seem to mind. It came off the bench over 1,000 times. <laughs> How many players get to play 1,000 games in their in this NBA career. He not only played it, he came off the bench a thousand times. So yeah, absolutely a spectacular career. And, you know, when you go through and you look at, you know, the annals of, of the sport and the history of the sport, and you talk about great guys off the bench, he's not going to be the first guy mentioned perhaps, but he's going to be mentioned at some point. If you talk about great bench players, because six man of the year award, uh, he's got that on his mantle three times. Bruce, anything to add there? Not a whole lot. I mean, Lemon Pepper Lou, which was one of his excuses, if you all remember, he was found in a strip club at one point. He said, oh, I'd go there because their lemon pepper wings are the best. So Lemon Pepper Lou and Jay Crossover, Jamal Crawford, to me, are two sixth men extraordinaires who both deserve a place in Springfield. And I'll kind of let it go with that. Absolutely. So big congrats to Lou Williams on a successful NBA career. And uh, thanks for uh, – finally letting us know that you are officially calling it quits. <laughs> and with that, we'll get to our second quarter here. As we did tease at the top, we got Kevin here from ESPN to discuss the NBA draft with us. Kevin, let's go ahead and start at the very top of this year's draft board and talk about the top five prospects, Victor Wembanyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, Brandon Miller, Cam Whitmore. And I want to ask you, who would be your fifth there? I mean, there's Jerese Walker, Mean Thompson from Overtime Elite. Who who is it? Obviously, so much depends on who's making the pick and what the sure. fit is and what the needs are. I can speak. I can speak to this, Ross, and tell you that that, that Jairus Walker is. If you haven't seen him, you'll set eyes on him, and you'll say, "That's a Carl Malone body right there on a young guy." Um, he's he's but he's got the ability to shoot the three. I mean, he's Herman Munster with the shoulders, right? He's, he's, he's a physical specimen. 
He's an explosive finisher. He played under Kelvin Sampson at Houston, which means he can defend. Uh, he's a disciplined player. He's hard-nosed. He's not even 20 years old yet. He had games where when you turn the TV on, he just popped off the page. It's like, who's that guy on a team that was a top five team all year and had a lot of other talented players? Um, then there were games where, you know, the minutes weren't there because Houston kind of dominated the American Conference, so he didn't put up the gaudy numbers. Sometimes he could be inconsistent. I'd like to see the field goal numbers a little bit higher, 47%, but he did shoot some threes. I guess so that's sort of where we are with the, the position that he plays these days. I like him. I like him a lot. Again, it really is going to depend on, on what you're going to need there. Um, if you need a guy like Jarris Walker, I would not hesitate. Anthony Black, to me, is a guy from Arkansas who I really like. I think he's as skilled uh, a two-way player as there is in this draft. Early on in the season, the Maui Invitational, where you're playing two, three games in a row, the second and third days in Maui, he had consecutive 26-point games. I mean, back-to-back. So that tells you that this is a guy who can get his on, on consecutive nights. Outstanding vision. He's a really good defender. I think he's one of the most complete guards in what is probably a guard-heavy um, uh, draft. Yeah. There were times where, he, you know, he played with Nick Smith, who's another guy we'll probably talk about here. And and it felt like Arkansas was waiting for Smith to get healthy for most of the year. So I never really felt that you that maybe roles were defined on that Arkansas team. He's got to work on his shot a little bit. He's not great from three-point range. But if, if you're at five and Anthony Black is available and you need a guard, I wouldn't hesitate. Do you have any concerns with Black's uh, lack of perimeter shooting? I know that's been the yeah. biggest knock on him throughout the draft workout process. It's just uh, will he be able to, you know, make sure defenses don't sag off of him because he is such a great creator, as you as you alluded to there. So um, do you think that can come around having watched him play a lot more than all of us have? I mean, are the mechanics there or, or, or is this something that that might be a long work in progress? You know, the – it's the great unknown, and it's what keeps general managers up at night. Um, <laughs> here's what I can tell you uh, uh, about Black, I, really about all the guys in the draft here. He's so young. I mean, really, we've got such a limited sample size, but he played in the SEC, uh, one of the best conferences in college basketball. You're right, Ross, 30% from three-point range. You might be a little skittish about that. Um you know, is that an area where guys can improve? I remember when Josh Allen was drafted by the Buffalo Bills, and people were saying, yeah, but you know what? He's not an accurate quarterback. You, I, you can't improve. Troy Aikman said, you can't really improve your accuracy. And I thought, that might be the one thing you can improve, right? You can't. You can't. If you don't have a cannon of a right arm. Good point. I don't know that you can do that. If you're not a great scrambler, you're probably not going to be a great scrambler. I, You know, Anthony Black has all of the other intangibles that we're talking about, athleticism, vision, defense. If you can, if you can improve an aspect of your game, I think it might be, might be shooting. So, you know, is he going to come in right away and be a guy who shoots it at 38, 39, 40% from three-point range? He's, he's probably not. But I'll take my chances on working on that versus the other areas that he's already – good to go with. Gotcha there. And uh, another guy that continues to kind of be in that eight to even up to three range. There's a lot of hype 
behind the Villanova, Villanova product, Cam Whitmore. What can you tell us about Cam's game? And, you know, as you alluded to with Jaris, I mean, this guy's got an NBA body, NBA athleticism. Um, what's your take on Cam Whitmore uh, heading into uh, Thursday's draft? Missed an early portion of the season there, and it's always tough when you miss the beginning of the year and you're trying to join the race as it's going on. He did play in 26 games. Um, he he scored – I mean, he – First game of the year, they really sort of eased him in, and then he exploded in the second and third games, and then he kind of dropped off a bit. Uh, I thought he saved some of his best games for his best opposition. There was a game against Xavier when Xavier was playing about as well as it played all year, and Whitmore lit them up, jumped off the page. Um, he's a guy who committed to Villanova, and then Jay Wright retired, and I, you know, and this is no slight to the coach who's there right now, but I would have loved to have seen Whitmore, A, obviously healthy from the beginning, and B, playing a full season um, under Jay Wright. He's a 6'7 guard, so you know, you're, you're getting that um, as soon as he comes into your organization. Uh, he's more developed physically than other guards in this draft. I just think it's sort of the body of work to me is a little incomplete, but, you know, again what the NBA draft has become and maybe has always been is you're taking a chance on guys and certainly now on really young guys um, who you see things with. And he's just a guy who has uh, uh, DNA that other people do not have in this draft. So is he going to be an NBA all-star or a superstar? I don't know, but I think if you pick Cam Whitmore, he's a rotational guy for a long time. Can I ask a question? Can I just ask a question uh, of all of you or Russ and Kevin in particular? All right, so Cam Whitmore, he's like 6'6", weighs about 230, has a 40-inch vertical leap. Is he one of those guys that might have to have a bit of a weight situation? Because when you're 6'6 and 230, you're a beefy dude. And when you have a 40-inch vertical and you're showing off your hops, this is almost like the Zion Williamson thing in my mind. Is, are guys like, is there a concern with a guy like that with, because of a body type and the explosive leaping? I guess I'll go first. I, I think it's filled. I think his body's filled out proportionately. I think he is more so along the lines of like a Jalen Brown, uh, Miles Bridges type body. He really uses that to his advantage, getting to the uh, to the cup. Uh, really a hard straight line driver. Obviously initiates a ton of contact and uses that strength to his advantage. Um, so with the game tape I've watched, I, I certainly don't have the concerns with the explosiveness. I think it, it, it's very well, um, you know, been proportioned throughout his body to where I don't see there being a problem. But, Kevin, do you have anything to add on that? You know, Ross, Bruce, the only thing I'd say is this. Um, I never watched him play and felt he, he's he's got to work some stuff off. Like, to me, he's a guy who, when you're watching a game, you say, that guy is ready. Uh, you know, and that's not the case with everybody in this draft. Jordan Hawkins at UConn's a guy who's got to put on some size. And I love Jordan Hawkins. That's not the case with Cam Whitmore. I mean, he he will look like he fits in um, from the jump, maybe with the exception of the baby face. I mean, body-wise, phys- I, I, I like the fact that he's that size, that he's going to be able to absorb contact like that. Um, I never, ever felt watching him that that was an issue. If anything, it was to me, wow, he's a guy who – you know, if, if this is the 80s, we would say 
that's a four-year guy who's really worked on his frame and he's really developed and grown into who he is. Now it just so happens that he's an 18, 19-year-old who's got that kind of body. <laughs> yeah. And one quick roundtable question here for all of you guys before we do head into our halftime break. It's going to be on Victor Wembanyama. I mean, I think he primarily plays as a power forward this season for the San Antonio Spurs. But do you think San Antonio will experiment with him more as a small forward or as a center during his rookie year? And Bruce, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, he's just so big and he covers so much ground. And I mean, he doesn't even have to jump too much to be. I mean, you know, I think a guy like that is like a natural rim protector, right? So wouldn't you kind of want somebody like that kind of in the middle? Granted, at 19, you're not really going to be the QB of the defense. It's going to take him a few years to develop the kind of soft skills to be able to do that. But I mean, to me, it's like if that's not a center, then I don't know what a center is. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they might try to protect his body a little bit uh, from the bumps and bruises of the, the NBA fives around the league. And uh, just think it's an intriguing question. Will be, what's your take on that one? Uh, I think I would keep him away from the middle right now until he beefs up. Um, you don't want – I mean, what happened to Chet Holmgren last uh, summer league was a fluky thing, so I don't think it was necessarily the result of being in the middle with his frame or whatever – that being said, I I think his strength right now would be uh, not going up against the likes of DeAndre Ayton, Jokic, and guys. I'd rather see him a little bit more out on the wing and and uh, creating an advantage that way, where he would you know, obviously have a, a height advantage and um, in many cases probably even at his age a talent advantage over other wings. Kevin. I'm with Mike. You know, I'm I'm not exposing him to Joel Embiid for 48 minutes um, on a on a night in night out basis. Look, I you know with San Antonio and with with this guy, I guess it's wherever you need him. Um, he doesn't seem real to me, and I've only yeah. seen him in limited sample size, like just about everybody else. But when someone gets the kind of hype that's reserved for like the LeBron James players we go into every draft saying the number one pick by big you know he's he's a can't miss guy but the hype around Wembenyama and it's been universal um tells me that here's what here's what San Antonio has to do is keep him in a situation where he's on the floor so I don't care where that is if it's if you think it's closer to the basket then put him there but um, he's got, of course, he's got to bulk up. Of course, there's going to be some sort of a cultural transition and, you know, understanding the NBA game and the night in all that. Listen, everything that I've seen, it's he's he doesn't seem real. So you guys could answer that better than I could. I just can't wait to see him. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And he certainly does look like a guy that's been created in a video game. But uh, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun to watch next season. And with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer, so we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of our third quarter. Now, Kevin, we want to talk a little bit more about the first round, some of these lottery guys. Who are some of your favorites? I know that you mentioned Anthony Black. Uh, you mentioned Jordan Hawkins. Who are some other names uh, in that first round that you've paid close attention to? 
talk a little bit about Black. I mean, Hawkins to me, you know, um, whether you watch college basketball like I do on a nightly basis or you parachute in for the NCAA tournament, if you were that guy, then you saw Jordan Hawkins lead UConn to a national championship. He is a dynamic scorer, a player who you watch and you say things come easy to him. He's an elite shooter, but that's not to mistake him for not being athletic. He's extremely athletic. I think he shot... 38 or 39% from three-point range, which is very attractive to me. Um, he's a little bit older. I think he's 21, which which has become a bad word in the NBA. Yeah. But, I, you know, I, like, I kind of like that. I like that he's got a little bit of life experience and college experience on him. Um, so, you know, from, from, from December 1st on, um, he scored in double figures every game but three. I think he trans. Now he's got to put on some weight, but you know, again, we could probably run down the list of sixty guys who are going to be drafted and say that that that's the case of about fifty to fifty-five of them. I really, really like him a lot. Um, Grady Dick is a guy who I hate. I hate when we make these comparisons. <laughs> But it's the only way I think that people who haven't seen a lot of these guys can get it in their mind, the type of player that they are. Grady Dick, to me, is Kyle Korver, but he's more athletic. I mean, he is, he is the, he's got the kind of shot that you would expect from a kid who grew up in Kansas and went to Kansas. I mean, he is textbook three-point shooter, way more athletic that I think people would give him credit for. You'll take a look at him and you'll say, no way is that guy athletic. And then you, in, in warm-up lines, you'll say, not that guy. And then, and he is. Um, I think he's the best shooter in the draft. You know, can he, could he, could he handle physicality better? Again, get in line for guys who are yeah. coming into a men's league. But I, I really, really like Grady Dick a lot. I think he's a guy who's, who's going to be ready um, right away. Uh, Keontae, John, uh, Keontae George, rather, is another guy. He played at Baylor in the Big 12. Um, his size is a little bit of a factor with him, but he's another guy who's got unlimited range. A mature kid. We had a chance to speak with him during the year. Really mature kid. Really, really dynamic scorer. Um, I'm not as bullish on another really good shooter, Jet Howard, the son of Jawan Howard. Played at Michigan. Excellent shooter. I wonder what else he does well. I wonder if he's a guy who's going to – get in there and, and mix it up really, really well. Uh, those are a couple guys that come to mind. And then there's one, I'll let you guys chime in here before I get to Gigi Jackson, but he's another, he's another total wild card to me, but we'll, we'll talk about him in a minute. Okay. I look forward to that. Cause I think that's going to be my guy in this year's rookies class. I've already teased our listeners with Gigi Jackson as a steal later on in the first round. And if he goes to the second round, it's a crime in my book. Um, but I'm always one to take risks here. Um, World B, I know that you've obviously uh, been kind of scanning the upcoming NBA draft. Uh, you know, what's your impression on this year's draft class? And are there any college names that that intrigue you for NBA teams? Uh, well, for me, it's 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 really what happens at the top uh, after yeah. after number one. The two biggest uh, teams that I'm interested in draft night are number two with the Hornets. And then number uh, four with the Rockets. I think it's going to be really interesting what what happens with the these two teams. 
the Hornets have a lot of options. The Hornets yep. can go just go with Scoot Henderson, who by all accounts is the number two best prospect, him or Brandon Miller. They could go with Brandon Miller, who's a, probably a better fit. Or they, we discussed at the top of the show, they could. there's a lot of teams that want that number two pick. How much are they willing to give up? Are they willing to give up a Zion or a Brandon Ingram, which whose name has suddenly become uh, mentioned about from the Pelicans instead of Zion for that two pick? And then the, the Rockets are, are an interesting team to me with all those young guys they have on the on the roster. They had they led the NBA in minutes played by rookies this year. They also led the NBA in minutes played by second year players. So they are in an absolute youth movement. And 62% of their minutes were rookies or second-year players. And none of those guys are going anywhere. So, And, by the way, because they used rookies and second-year players, they were the worst shooting team in the league, <laughs> not surprisingly. So where do you go? Where do they go from here in terms of uh, a player, an impact player? They had Jabari Smith last year who was supposed to be the best shooter, and he struggled big time, less than 31% from three-point range. So, I mean, I agree with Kevin. There's a lot of guys who have shooting issues in this draft, but you can develop that, you would hope. It's everything else that comes with it. So, uh, I'm more personally, I'm more interested in these teams and how they fit in and whatever. All these teams need offensive help at the bottom. They're picking near the uh, – with the exception of maybe the Blazers. But they had Damian Lillard. They are, their biggest deficiency is defense. But uh, Well, the Spurs are the worst defensive team in the league too, but they – weren't far behind in offense. <laughs> Credit to them. Uh, so hey, they, you know, hey, Ross, one quick thing, because because Mike brought up Brandon Miller, and I had I wanted to just say this about him. Yep. And you brought up the name Jabari Smith, and I and for me, he reminded me a little of Jabari Smith. Um, although I think he's much better off the dribble. There were these. I'm sure you guys have at least heard of them. The, the incident that happened at Alabama with yep. uh, another player on the team who was immediately booted off the team, where there was a fatal shooting with the team and Miller was implicated on, on, on some level. Um, teams have done their homework on that. Whatever his involvement was, I don't know. Let's, let's just view it in a basketball sense for a minute here. After that news came out that Miller was implicated, I think it was the next night they played a road game at South Carolina the heat was hot. There were a lot of people that said, this guy does not belong anywhere near the court. No way should Alabama be playing him. It was a big national story. Guys, he went out and he destroyed South Carolina in that game. He gave them 41 in a game that went to overtime and every big basket down the stretch and in overtime, Brandon Miller got. And Gigi Jackson was on that South Carolina team. Not that he was guarding them one-on-one all the time, Again, character issues I'm not speaking to. I can just tell you what I saw on the basketball court. Brandon Miller is, if not for Wembenyama, we would be saying Brandon Miller is going to change San Antonio. He is a very, very good player. Go can ahead, I say something we'll be. real quick before we, before we get to Bruce? Yep. Or you guys, I, I totally agree with Kevin as far as you, you, you character issues aside, the talent is there. But if you're the Charlotte Hornets, that is an issue all of a sudden because you had to deal a whole year with no, to what extent it is. I don't know. I'm sure they're doing the homework and figuring everything out, but that is an issue that they have to consider given that they just lost a year with miles bridges because of a domestic abuse charge against him. And they lost it. You know, he was going to be their big re-signing 
the previous offseason until this mess happened. So they that's a question they have to you know address or answer for themselves. And I'm sure they're weighing that factor in because he's probably a better fit than Scoot Henderson, even though depending on how you want to look at it, Scoot Henderson by many accounts is the number the second best prospect, but he also be in the same basically the same position as LaMelo. So it's it's a tough call for the Horn, which makes this a really intriguing uh, team for me. And to make matters worse, the uh, Charlotte Hornets also had James Booknight get into an incident uh, this past season as well, where uh, he fell asleep in the car with a, a gun on his lap. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're in a very tricky spot. And, uh, of course, I'm sure they're doing their due diligence here, trying to just fully understand how much they can trust uh, Brandon Miller if they are to take him with his second overall pick. Bruce, we haven't gotten to you yet. Obviously, I know – the draft isn't your main forte, but I know that you're always uh, reading and, and following everything around the, the league. What's your take on Thursday's draft? Do you, do you have any comments on uh, your yeah. takeaways from what you're seeing out there? Yeah, just just real quick, a couple things. I know we're, we're battling the clock here soon. The yep. Thompson twins are hoping to become the first twins both drafted in the top 10. That will be kind of cool if that happens. And also, when Banyanama's teammate from uh, the Metropolitans, uh, Bilal Koulibaly, 6'6 wing, 18-year-old guy, uh, I'm really interested to see. I'm always interested in the international guys because just there's always sort of a mystery surrounding them. But apparently, you know, from what I've read, he's raw in many ways. He's got tons of upside, great athlete, plays hard, unselfish, great motor probably going to be defensively challenged at first, but he seems to be kind of rising up on the stock market here. So I'll really be interested to see where he goes and what he does. All right. And with our fourth quarter, um, I'm going to send this right back to Kevin. Of course, you teased Gigi Jackson. You know, we're going to talk a little bit quickly here about the rest of the pack in the draft. Gigi Jackson's uh, been projected anywhere from like the mid twenties to mid thirties in this year's draft. Take the floor here and take it away on Gigi Jackson. What can we expect? What are the intriguing parts of his game? And, and what are some of the concerns you think some teams are having with him? Ross, isn't it amazing? 20 to 30 range for a guy who was the top prospect in the class of 2023. He was the number one player in that class. And then and he had committed to North Carolina. Yep. And then he reclassifies, which if you're only an NBA fan and you're not familiar, which means he basically skipped that last year of high school to directly go into college. And and when he did that, he enrolled at South Carolina. He's from South Carolina. So he originally had committed to North Carolina. Uh, not too many guys leave North Carolina to go to South Carolina, but he did that. Um, to me, he's the biggest wild card in this draft. He's, he's a 6'9", smooth player who I think you were sort of alluding to it, Ross. He, he could be a the biggest boomer bust guy in the draft, right? He could be an all-star. Sure or he is, could yep. be a. It's never going to happen. Here's the one thing I'll say to anybody about Gigi Jackson. Again, you can find the highlights of him, and you'll say, whoa. And then there are some games where I think he played against uh, uh, Tennessee twice. Tennessee, if you don't know, is a very good defensive team, very, very physical team, and he struggled in those games. So if you're looking for uh, a pause for concern, it might be those two games. Here's what I'll say. He's 18 and a half. He was born 
during LeBron's second year in the NBA. <laughs> so he's so young and he's so talented. You just don't know. What do you think, Ross? I'm a huge fan. I mean, you can't teach the 6'8", 6'9". He's the youngest player in the draft, I believe. Um, the shot selection is a huge question mark, but as far as what he's got in his bag, he's kind of the full package offensively. The defense, obviously some huge room for improvement there, but nobody really drafts on defense when it comes to scores like this. I think he is a guy that I would consider taking in the uh, early 20s. I think Indiana, I, I have a buddy who's a huge Pacers fan, and I told him, I'm like, you guys are crazy having two picks post uh, post 20 in the draft this year, and if you pass on them twice, I think they have like 25 and 27. I'm like, if he's available for that 27th pick, you guys should pick this guy up because they need some wing help. Um, you just, I, I think a, a, a team that drafts him has got to have some patience. I think he's going to spend a lot of his first year in the NBA – uh, in the G League developing. Um, but I think one to two years down the line, we're going to look back at this draft and be like, how did this guy go in the 20s? He's one of the top 10 players uh, in this draft class. And I, I'm a true believer in what I've seen. I think he's going to be a special talent, has all the makings to be an NBA uh, borderline all-star, maybe a star, who knows, but like super talented. And we're talking late first, maybe even second round. I, it just blows my mind. So uh, really excited to see what happens with him on Thursday night. But uh, appreciate you uh, giving us your insight into him. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and get into our final thoughts here. Kevin, want to thank you again for joining us on tonight's show. And uh, Bruce, I'll let you lead us off with that. I worked on the NBA draft for 15 seasons. I was attached to David Stern. I was attached to Adam Silver. It was the favorite work night of the year for me. Not so much because I got to be in the green room and see all the action, but it's the night where all of these guys and their families' dreams come true. It's a beautiful thing. It's great to watch. The happiness, the joy for the families, for the players. It's just the best. All right. World B? You know, I'm one of the few players, probably a few people in the uh, United States that really doesn't care about the NFL draft. It's never, it's never interested. I've never had any interest in it. I, it just doesn't appeal to me, but the NBA draft, it always has. I've always been interested in it. I've always uh, followed it. And so I'm looking forward, like I said before, a few minutes ago, I'm really interested uh, what, you know, one of the teams that I follow, the Charlotte Hornets, do that's where the draft begins for me we know what's going to happen with number one and i want to see what happens at number two because there's a lot of options they finally got the the pick they finally got one of these upper picks that they you know don't usually get they were supposed to get anthony davis in 2012 with the worst record in nba history and it didn't work out and they ended up with mkg who i liked but he's no ad so they got they lucked you know they worked out they lucked into this number two pick when they weren't supposed to get it, and now they have you know as luck would have it now they have this big decision they don't have uh, like a couple of years ago when they had Lamelo it fell to them in three because he was left so I'll I'll be very interested in what happens uh, at that pick and then the next couple of picks going forward. Absolutely, it's going to be a lot of fun and as Bruce uh, had mentioned there of course it is great to see all these dreams come true for these incredible young basketball players. Kevin, do you have a final thought for us? 
Yeah, you know, I don't. I think that this is a good draft, not a great draft. I don't know that it's as deep maybe as last year's draft was. Um, unlike Mike, I love the NFL draft. I watch all seven rounds. <laughs> I also love the NBA draft. I just I think about the um, the enormous pressure on the people making these picks because you are in a lot of cases taking a chance on eighteen and nineteen year old kids who, in a lot of cases, have only played twenty. 30 games. It's an exciting time for all the players that I get to watch during the year, uh, primarily in college basketball. I love seeing those dreams come true too. So I'm excited for it. And I can't wait to see the guy who's going to go number one. I have one quick question, Ross, before I got to ask Kevin one thing before we go. Let's do it. Who do you love more? The Buffalo Bills or the Foo Fighters? (laughs) (laughs) Bruce is clearly monitoring my Twitter page there, <laughs> which is pri- primarily uh, all of the content I put out. It's a it is a dead even tie. How's that? <laughs> Wait, good answer, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> and as for my final thought here, I just want to point out that there's typically 60 picks during the NBA draft, but for the second straight year, there's only going to be 58 picks due to the Bulls and Sixers having to forfeit their second round picks due to violating rules. Uh, governing free agency discussions, which is also known as tampering. So for <laughs> Chicago, it was Lonzo Ball's free agency. And for the Sixers, it was James James Harden's. And uh, that free free agency discussion with Daryl Morey. And then, of course, last year it was the Bucks with Bodon Bogdanovich. And with the Miami Heat, it was Kyle Lowry. Uh, and uh, they were forced to go ahead and forfeit those picks as well. So only 58 picks for the second straight year. A little odd to see that, but... Uh, Figured I'd give our listeners here a heads up on that. Kevin, thanks again for joining us. Um, do you want to plug that Twitter account so people can go follow you and stay up to date with your content? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, at Kev Connors ESPN. I think that's it. At Kev Connors ESPN. If it's not, I'm the guy that doesn't have the check mark next to his name anymore. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Ross, Mike, Bruce, I really enjoyed being on here. Thanks for letting me share some of the insight that I have, and it was a lot of fun talking with you. Absolutely. Thank thank you for joining us. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week post-draft to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everyone.